Hello, my name is Richie Shoemaker, and I'd like to welcome you to PC Zone Lives, the podcast that aims to celebrate classic issues of PC Zone magazine with the people that put them together. That won't be happening in this first episode, however, because PC Zone needs to be properly and fully introduced so that you, dear listener, can come to appreciate why it's worth celebrating in the first place. Let's get on with it. Hello, joining me to go through the 17-year history of PC Zone are no less than eight of its editors. These were the people that led the magazine from cradle to grave. We start with the first of them, Paul Lakin, who was the editor from issue 1 to 15, and his deputy, Lawrence Scottford, who took over until issue 19. Hello, chaps. Hi. Hello. Okay, I'm just going to set the scene. It was 1992 when Dennis Publishing committed to launching PC Zone. Now, Dennis didn't publish a lot of games mags, certainly not ahead of its rivals, but PC Zone was destined to be different by being the very first PC gaming magazine on the shelves, joining a lineage, of course, of irreverent Dennis Mags that includes uh, Zero and your Sinclair. Paul, you were the editor of Game Zone at the time, a console spin-off, I think, from Zero magazine. Was it for you a no-brainer to move into the Bowlsover Street basement to head up another one, a PC spin-off this time? Um, yeah, it pretty much was. And I didn't even have to move into the basement. I was already there. So it was really just moving across the room to a different table. Um, and I'd been doing Game Zone for a while. I think in those days in particular, I think um, console mags were very much younger. So they probably thought I was getting a bit old and fusty. And to be honest, the sort of games I liked were more PC based. Um, and I'd been on Zero before that, which had obviously been a multi-format mag, which had had a good chunk of PC reviews in it. So I'd, I'd done um, games reviews, etc., on PC games before before my game zone years. Uh, Lawrence, you were uh, you were at uh, EMAP, a rival publisher, of course, working on Amiga magazine, the one. I think it was focused just on Amiga then. I'm not sure. How did you hear about PC Zone and end up on the team? Uh, actually, I'd moved on from the one at that point. I was on oh, okay. um, I was on PC Review. Um, oh yes. So, which, which of course, didn't have an exclusive games focus. It did have some games, but it was much more of a broader um, PC coverage. Um, but if I remember rightly, uh, it was Paul Presley who'd, who'd seen what was going on with this new magazine coming out of Dennis. Uh, and I think we were both kind of in the market for a change at the time. And so we we agreed that we'd both try for roles. Um, and... I'm not even sure if I remember if whether whether there was anything advertised or whether we just sent on spec. I don't know if you can remember, Paul. No, I think I think you you turned up in the you turned up in the office, you and Paul, um, with your own thoughts on on a PC magazine. I don't I don't remember. I don't think we advertised, um, and certainly your 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 appearance was sort of self motivated, if you like. Yeah, you you you'd come off your own off your own bat. Yeah, so we. Well, they just fought their way in. <laughs> we crashed the joint. Yeah, <laughs> um, um, yeah, we we were very arrogant at the time, so we <laughs> probably didn't even think twice about doing stuff like that. <laughs> um, but yeah, but I mean, so I think you know, put 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 my CV in front of um, Teresa and was lucky enough to be offered the the dep ed role, um, and it was a chance to kind of 
get in at the start of, of something interesting and new. So I, I jumped at it. Okay. In those, those early days, of course, the PC Zone writing team was pretty tight. It was soon joined by uh, the aforementioned uh, Preza, uh, Andrew Wright, and future editors, Jeremy Wells and Chris Anderson. But the star players um, had come over from Zero in GameZone, the uh, uber-fragmeister David McAndus, a.k.a. Macca, the late Duncan McDonald, famous for the back page column Mr. Cursor, and the uh, enigmatic, I suppose, Patrick McCarthy, who had uh, reviewed a lot of sports games. Uh, Paul, how important was it to have those guys on board from the, from the beginning of the magazine? It was key at the beginning in particular because um, yeah, we... we very much saw PC Zone as a sort of child of zero. And there, there was, as you say, a thread back right back to your Sinclair with some of these writers with a very distinct style, um, very creative, very witty writers, and um, they had quite a fan base. So we wanted to build the magazine you know, on, on their talent, on their voice. So, yeah, it was essential they were there at the beginning. But then equally, it was important that um, we then went out and got new writers as well. Not least because um, by at that stage, Dennis now had three games mags, and um, Duncan and Macker and Patrick weren't the most, <laughs> most reliable at the best of times. And when they were stretched across three magazines, uh, yeah, it, yeah. it could get a bit fraught. But also with the PC market, you know, they were very you know, specialist types of games, um, sort of flight sims and sort of intense strategy games where you needed um, expert writers in, the, in in those fields. And I think one of the things with Lawrence and Paul coming across is that you know they brought us. Um, their own contacts and their own, as well as being writers themselves, they brought, they sort of widened the pool of talent that we could access. But yeah, absolutely essential um, at the beginning to have Macca, Duncan and Patrick there setting the voice. Okay, so you had the team on board. Can you recall what it was like producing the very first issue of PC Zone? Um, This was the one, of course, with X-Wing on the cover. Actually, how, how did you end up with X-Wing on the cover? Well, <laughs> that's my main memory of that issue. I mean, a lot of them blur into one, but uh, and Lawrence will correct me if I've got this wrong. But I, I think we'd secured the exclusive an exclusive preview of X Wing from um, um, from the publisher game publishers. And we had a good relationship with them, and it was obviously. And we said, well, we'll put it on the cover of our first issue. If we can have the first look, and we were constantly being promised this um, playable demo or something from which we were going to write. You know, we put aside about five pages to write the preview and then pretty much deadline day turned up and uh, we had a disc which had I don't know, a handful of screenshots on it and a press release explaining what the game would do and somehow from that I had to concoct um, five pages of preview uh, which was uh, a little fraught. Uh, as well as X-Wing, some of the other cover games uh, from the early times included Syndicate, uh, St- uh, Strike Commander, Sim City 2000 and uh, Frontier... Elite Two. Um, do you have a favourite issue from that time, Paul, or a favourite game? I remember enjoying uh, Dune Two, which was, in a sense, a forerunner to the sort of the Age of Empires type games, um, Command and Conquer, which I was a great fan of um, later on. So um, that was a favourite. Um, and yeah, the sort of SimCity side of things, like I, I enjoyed. Um, and then, but. but the one that always sticks in my mind, although I think it'd been out for a long time, was um, Star Control, which Duncan and Macca just played fanatically um, every hour they were in the office when they should have been reviewing much more um, expensive and uh, uh, graphically exciting games, but they were just hooked on playing it, fighting each other at Star Control. Well, this was before Doom, of course. 
Uh, that was before then Mac had changed himself to a computer and became Doom. Um, <laughs> well, it was, of course, a different uh, different world back then. The internet barely existed. Windows was a bit of a joke for games. DOS was a pain. Well, I remember DOS being a pain in the ass. And playing an online game was pretty much unheard of and, unless it was a ve- uh, you know an obscure multi-user dungeon. Um, yet despite all the hoops you had to jump through to play a PC game, PC Zone wasn't patronizing or nerdy. It was actually funny. Was that always the intention, Lawrence, to entertain as much as inform? Um, well, I think I think information was always important because, as you mentioned, um, the the web was very much in its infancy, and so at the time, um, print magazines were the own were the most reliable way that um, enthusiasts could get information about about new games. So, of course, we were always chasing big stories and we were always trying to be as comprehensive as we could with what we covered. Um, but but equally, you know, we, we're in a um, uh, um, we're in a game with lots of competition. Um, and although we didn't have any direct competition in terms of um, uh, of PC games coverage at that time, I don't think we were ever. Um, uh, complacent about that. I mean, we, we we knew that that would be coming sooner or later. Um, so so yes, it was it was important to entertain as well. Um, and and you know, as you mentioned, we were lucky enough to have um, some of the most talented writers in the industry that were really able to bring that um, that aspect to the pages. Um, so they became more than just you know here are a few lines about the about the latest game. They were um, uh, you know, they were enjoyable just to read in their own right, um, especially when you added in, you know, things like um, Duncan's Mr. Cursor and so on. So I think, yeah, there was a there was a there was a very strong balance between those two things. Yeah, I'd agree. Sorry, if I, I just agree with Lawrence, I think it was important that we had the the serious and the technical side in the magazine as well. I mean, there was a risk if it was all humour. Um, you know, although that was our sort of, if you like, unique selling point. If it was too flippant and people didn't actually think we knew what we were talking about um on the technical side or whatever then then that could have backfired so it was yeah as Lawrence says it was getting that balance between um the wit but also underneath it um a knowledge of both the industry and the technology Lawrence you mentioned that uh you didn't have much competition um to begin with but of course uh there was an assault of magazines um probably the most significant event um early on uh, was the launch of future publishing's PC Gamer towards the end of 93. Um, not just Gamer, but uh, Europress launched PC Action. Uh, Maverick published the first issue of PC Player. And uh, I think early in 94, Paragon launched PC Power. So there were four competing PC games mags appearing almost in as many weeks. Um, so how the hell did you find the time to play Doom, which had, which had also just come out? We we didn't get to play Doom. The freelancers got to play Doom. <laughs> I can't. I mean, I can remember. I can remember PC Gamer, obviously. I mean, and and I, I remember the names. I have to admit, and it was probably one of my failings as an editor. I wasn't that competitive. Um, I, you know, there, there was a degree of competition, and for both content for cover discs and for covers and exclusives and stuff like that. And we certainly got involved in that. And obviously, we were aware of you know who was selling more. But I think it was more for Teresa and then Tim, the two publishers who got more focused on, you know, trying to trying to compete with our rivals. I think 
you know, at the risk of sounding unbearably pious or pompous, I think our focus was trying on trying to make PC zone as good as possible and hoping that that would lead to success rather than constantly measuring ourselves. But having said that, yeah, you'd bump your coffee down if you found that PC Gamer had got a game before you had or something like that. Most of those magazines fell away within four, five, six issues, um, aside from, of course, PC Gamer. Was it obvious from those first issues that Future Ma- Futures Magazine was going to be the Zone's main rival in the months ahead? I don't think that was a given. But then you, what you have to bear in mind is that is that Future had pretty much already proved itself as, as one of the powerhouses of magazine publishing around about that time. And, and you'd have been absolutely stupid to underestimate them, I think. But I do think we were probably in a situation where even though the, the PC games market was, was starting to boom, there, there wasn't enough ad revenue to go around all those titles. Um, and, so, and so that, in addition to the struggle to kind of keep your subscribers happy with, you know, the best coverage and, and as Paul says, the best cover discs, um, to kind of survive in that environment, um, you needed to be able to attract and keep the best writers and have the and have the kind of muscle to bring the publishers to your door um, with with exclusives. Um, and I think some of the smaller publishers were definitely a disadvantage there. We had the advantage of having you know one owner, Felix, um, with very deep pockets, and who uh, who was an interesting character in lots of ways, but. Um, you know, if he if he believed in a magazine or a product, he he would back it. Um, so we probably got more leeway and and given more of a chance to prove ourselves than maybe if you know we were in a company with anxious shareholders and boards of directors, etc. Talking, I mean, talking to Felix Dennis. Then, I mean, did you think being part of Dennis Publishing afforded you as the editor and PC Zone the magazine a, a bit more freedom than? Than future maybe that had was a bit more corporate. I don't know. I've never worked for them, but was there a kind of freedom within Dennis? Yeah, there was definitely. Felix, he very strongly believed in editorial freedom, and after all, he'd been to prison for uh, a magazine in the early seventies. So he had a strong sense of backing his uh, magazines, and not on PC Zone, but on previous magazines. There've been times when. We'd been sued. I even got sued by Bill Beaumont once, and um, and he sort of backed you in a way that wouldn't have happened, uh, you know, maybe at a, a more corporate organisation. And I think Dennis was was a pretty unique place. As mentioned, issue fifteen was your last as editor, Paul. Um, you freelanced for a little while afterwards, of course. But had you had enough of the hot seat by then? Um, I mean, I think. I think editors, a bit like football managers, have a sort of shelf life. Um, yeah, I, I didn't enjoy necessarily the day-to-day running as much as the sort of adrenaline buzz of um, launching a magazine. And as you as you said, it's, it's a competitive. It was a competitive market, and for the magazine um, to stay fresh, it needed new ideas, new people, etc. And I think I yeah, I, I mean, I was vaguely looking around for a different job. I'd, I'd applied for a couple of editor jobs in. Dennis, I think, which I didn't get. So I was beginning to think, well, where next? And then a completely different job in journalism sort of was offered to me. And I thought, yeah, time to move on, both for me and, you know, again, without overly pious, um, for, for the magazine too. And and Lawrence, you you took over um, from Paul, which I imagine was 
you know, a natural progression. Um, but you only edited for four issues, so you didn't really have enough time to stamp your authority on the magazine. Why, why did you uh, move on so quickly after taking charge? I was I was naturally very pleased to be given the opportunity to to, to follow in Paul's footsteps and take on that role, um, but I think at the time I was already kind of starting to come to the realization that uh, I wasn't a natural leader, um, and I think I think it's one thing to have you know to have very to to have good ideas and be good at implementing process, but. Um, but I think if you for to be a really good editor, you've got to have a good facility with people, um, and with the best will in the world, that that was never ever a strong suit for me. So, I think that I already had that in the back of my mind that uh, you know that aspect of the the role was going to be a struggle for me. Um, but then out of the blue, um, the 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 games publisher Renegade approached me um, to see if I'd be um, interested in hopping over the fence and becoming a producer with them. Um, and at the time, they were a very quirky little um, independent publisher. Um, they're best known, of course, for the um, the Bitmap Brothers games. Um, and, it, and it sounded like a, an interesting challenge. And I thought, you know, might not, that sort of opportunity might not come along again. So uh, I, I'm already having my kind of doubts about whether this role is right for me, so I'll jump at it. So from those four issues, Lawrence, or even earlier, I mean, do you have a, a favourite issue yourself or, or, or an, an abiding memory from your time uh, in charge of the mag? Um, well, I think, like Paul said, the first few issues were, were kind of hard work but fun. Um, the interesting thing for me is that most of the uh, most of the team already knew each other from their previous work on on the other Dennis titles. So I was a bit like, you know, the kid that's just transferred to a new school halfway through the term. Um, there was that sort of slightly nervous thing about coming into this team of, of, of people that, that, you know, knew each other well and would, would like bounce off each other. Um, but, at, but at the same time, there was a, you know, I remember that very sort of strong sense of excitement at being in on something that was kind of new and different and, being able to be in there from the start. Um, and one, one thing I would like to say, actually, is that I think, you know, we've talked a lot about the editorial approach and the style um, and, and the quality of the writing, but I, I we shouldn't forget um, Duncan Hemphill's achievements um, in giving it a very dynamic and interesting art direction. And I think that also helped it stand out on the shelves. And, um, you know, when you look back through those issues, although a lot of those ideas are, you know, you've seen a, a dozen times since then, I think at the time there was a lot of thought put into everything from uh, the typography to the, um, you know, the way that images were used. Um, and I think it was, it's fair to say that the magazine did have a very strong uh, visual attitude as well as the, as the, that kind of offbeat editorial attitude. Yeah, I agree with that completely. That's a very good point, Lawrence. And and Duncan had very strong design ideas. I know he's very influenced by the design on the face and stuff like that. And he and and absolutely on typography. I think he he was always working on d designing his own font. Um, but yeah, and he 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 liked games as well, so he got what we were doing. He enjoyed it. But um, and 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 actually was a very useful um, <laughs> fact checker as well. I can there were more than one occasion where he pulled us up because he had read something in a review that he thought was wrong or 
didn't make sense or whatever. But yeah, he had a very, very good, strong um, um, sense of design and wasn't uh, reticent about sharing it with us. And he was the editor of, of GameZone, of course, as, as well, wasn't he? Was he also on Zero? Uh, yes, he'd worked on Zero, I think. Because obviously the the PC Zone logo, the first PC Zone logo was very much based on the Game Zone logo. Um, probably one of the best mastheads the, the magazine had, actually. We also had Vicky um, Duncan's uh, Duncan McDonald's sister, Vicky, also was very. Um, again, going right back to the, the zero and before was heavily involved in design across across our all the games mags. In the context that PC Zone changed, I guess pretty quickly when the next guy took over. Uh, how do you look back on your time um, on uh, leading the magazine, Paul? Um, did you did you enjoy it, for example? Yeah, yeah, I enjoyed it. I mean, there was always, as you probably detected what I've said, there's always that slight jealousy of, of, of the freelance and everything, one who sort of arrived in the office in the early evening, stayed there all night <laughs> playing games and left their cigarette butts, coffee and a review, hopefully, on your desk the next morning. And, and you know, Wasn't being maybe just editor, two out of three. Yeah, sometimes it was. Um, and as Lawrence, I would probably agree, you know, the, with the editor, deputy editor, whatever, there's, there's quite a lot of responsibility. There's quite a lot of um, stuff you have to do that isn't just playing and reviewing games. But, yeah, I, I really enjoyed it. And I, I was really proud of the magazine and, and the team we had working on it. Um, and, and they were great people to work with. I mean, as, uh, Lawrence talks about coming in new, but I think we quickly, yeah, there was a PC Zone team and a vibe and we all got on. And, oh, you had to, because if you were in the office at 11 o'clock at night with people you didn't get on with, it would be a nightmare. And, um, yeah, I, I enjoyed it. I mean, looking back on it, you sort of think, Blimey, we had a lot of, I mean, it's classic old man comment, but blimey, we had a lot of freedom and, you know, half the time we were just messing about. But yeah, I think the end result was a, a magazine that, that I was very proud of and, and, and a team I really enjoyed working with. Is that the same for you, Lawrence? Do you, do you look back on, on the magazine with the same kind of affection? Yeah, absolutely. It was a fantastic experience. And um, yeah, I definitely, I definitely wouldn't change it if, 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 if I, if I could. Um, and I think you know that aspect of we worked hard, but we but we also played hard as well. Um, I know it's a bit of a cliche, but it was very much true. Um, and when I look back, I don't, I I just don't know how we managed to do all the heavy drinking we did and still get a magazine out of the door every month. But somehow we did. But I guess that was um, that was just just down to the fact that we were young and we kind of had that that sort of level of energy at the time. Okay, we now arrive at issue 20 of the magazine. It's the cusp of 1995 and PC Zone is going through an awkward adolescent change. Uh, Aiming to get PC Zone to buck its ideas up was newly installed editor John Davison, supported by deputy and eventual successor Jeremy Wells. Let's start with you, Jeremy. Since you started a few issues ahead of John, how did you come to be part of the team? Yeah, so I I was working at the time as a journalist uh, my sort of second job in journalism on a, a couple of shooting magazines, as in Guns, um, one of which was called Guns and Shooting. And, um, and I saw an advert in The Guardian and just, just applied sort of on spec um, and then got a call. And I, 
it wasn't like a, a particularly in-depth sort of interview. It was just like, okay, what have you been doing? What do you do this? And I think it was because I was possibly kind of an all-rounder in that I'd, I could, you know, do layout, a bit of subbing, a bit of commissioning, a bit of writing. Um, and, I, and Lawrence joked that because I should be good at shoot 'em ups having worked on a gun magazine. I remember that. Uh, yeah, I handed in my resignation at the old place and joined, I think it was like March 94 as deputy editor. So when Jeremy started on PC Zone, John, you were the editor of rival magazine PC Player. How did you come to see out the year editing Zone? Yeah, so I was at Maverick Magazines, which was up in started in Macclesfield and ended up in Oxford and I was running a magazine called PC player and that company kind of wound down in 94 and I think player technically got sold to future. I don't think they ever actually did anything with it, but they, they bought the asset. Um, I knew Tim just from going to events and going out for drinks when, whenever we were in London and it was just one of those serendipity things where I called him and said, Hey, you know, what's going on? And he was like, Oh, as luck would have it. Um, the editor roles opening up. You should, uh, we, we should chat. So it was, it was just one of those, you know, lucky things that happens when you're in your early twenties that you don't appreciate just how lucky you were until you look back on it. There was quite a few, you instigated quite a few changes pretty quickly. I mean, you brought in your art editor from PC player um yeah. Chris Anderson um was installed as features editor. Um was there any problems coming into a, an established magazine? Actually looking back on it, I thought it was way more established than 20 issues, but it's it's weird that it wasn't even two years old when I came down. Um I think the big immediate thing was the covers. I don't know if you I mean the previous PC zone covers were very um it was spreading its bets a lot. You know, it wasn't, there was rarely a singular focus. It was like, you know, in this issue, there's this and this and this and this. And um, it was at a time where magazines were kind of going through a bit of a design renaissance at the time. I mean, there was some really interesting stuff coming out of future and edge had obviously bucked it. edge and wired between them had sort of bucked everyone up. And when it came to design, um, and we needed an art director, and so Jason Simmons, who I'd worked with at Maverick, um, we we brought him on. And the, the big sort of first push was really like let's let's put some attention on the covers and and making more of a singular focus and make things a really big deal. And Tim was very supportive of that. And I think one of the things that I think in hindsight, when people remember PC Zone, what they don't realize is that majority of the names that they saw and associated with PC Zone were not actually full-time employees. So if you think about Patrick and Duncan and Maka and Paul, and like they were all freelancers and the, the core team was actually very small. So making core team changes was not that hard because I think there was, there was maybe five of us when I got there. It was a very small core team, but like everyone thought of the regular writers as being the voice of pc zone so as long as we kind of protected that that was the most important thing to do at that time well you say like you came in and the magazines felt more established than it than it probably was but then i guess a lot of the people from the core team and from the freelancers had worked together on zero and in a couple of cases um your sinclair but obviously yeah so you inherited a, a pretty good team um duncan patrick prezo maca but Part of that gang was a young Charlie Brooker who you immediately assigned to write the cover review for your first issue in charge. 
we knew we met Charlie through um, through David McCandless, and at the time Charlie's main gig was he was he was drawing the comic strip ads for Tottenham Court Road Computer Exchange, and he'd expressed an interest in writing more. We knew he was funny, and we sort of hung out with him, and um, he did some stuff for us, and he was just you know. He was fantastic, and like you know, the the rest of the writing team really thought highly of him. So we kind of we brought him in, and he fit, and he was he was buddies with David anyway, and it just immediately clicked and became a big part of the sort of evolution of the voice at that time. You edited Zone for two years, twenty four issues, I think, up until issue forty three, and in that time, um, there was some pretty good games, um, System Shock, of course. Magic Carpet, Dark Forces, Civilization 2, Command and Conquer, uh, Wing Commander 4. Do you have a favorite issue from your time at the helm or one you're most proud of? Um, I mean, there's ones for that I remember really well. I mean, I remember the Quake one particularly just because it was so, it was a real seat of the pants process one second uh, you said the quake one wasn't there like three <laughs> three covers the or first something? quake uh, yeah maybe uh i would say the one where we reviewed quake and carried the uh shareware on the cover disc that one of the quake ones um because getting the i mean it was so competitive with pc gamer and getting the demos and stuff on the disc was so important um, that we would try every trick in the book to get our hands on stuff. And we got really lucky with when they put the Quake demo on, I assume it was on, did they distribute code through Duango back then? I can't remember. I have no idea. But it was like, it went up on on whatever it was using to distribute stuff digitally. Um, and we were just able to, we were just held, it was close enough to our time where we went to the printer that we could, hold off a little bit and make sure it was on the cover and make sure it was on the, on the discs that we could get out in front of PC gamer. And, and that issue just went bonkers for us. Um, but there were, there were, there were a lot over the years. I think, you know, in hindsight, the system shock one, I mean, not just for being the first one that I did, but the fact that we didn't realize at the time, just how influential that game would be. I mean, we knew it was something special, but there was no hint that it was going to be, this sort of, you know, instructive work for the future of video games and it's quite the way that it was. Um, there was, yeah, I mean, yeah, you're right. I mean, we, we were really lucky. There was a lot of stuff in that period of time really, really packed in close together. There was something big every month and you know, there were a lot of magazines in the market back then, but the real, the real battle was between Zone and PC Gamer you know and that was where we were focused it started to hot up around that time because pc gamer were very aggressive on signing up um exclusives i mean exclusive was the word and it it was towards the end of my tenure there certainly it became more about the cover disc than about the print magazine you felt sometimes and you could you felt you could just stick out a bunch of demos on a on a piece of cardboard with a couple of reviews in it and people would buy it um and pc's pc zone was kind of standing on its own um, and, and offering you know various amounts to publishers to get first looks and, and exclusive demos, whereas Future had you know Edge, um, which didn't have a huge circulation, but everyone loved, um, and then PC Format and PC Gamer, so they could offer they could offer publishers a lot more in terms of coverage 
so we had to we had to sort of pick our key key titles that we thought would be best suited for us and we could have the most sort of fun with um so things had obviously gone pretty competitive and i remember there was quite a lot of baiting going in in the i don't know how it was like in in the pages of gamer but there was quite a bit of baiting going on in the pages of zone with mac you know mac pictures of mac are holding a gun to and wearing gamer t-shirts and stuff so which kind of makes me wonder like you say you were you were trying everything to get you know demos and stuff which makes me wonder (laughs) will be the bad guys it's it's possible <laughs> it was it was a nutty time I, I look back on some of the stuff from back then and and there are some things i wince at um in hindsight i mean it was it was at a time in in media where um there was a lot of experimentation and the stuff that was really big and influential was was all a particular tone so we i mean remember pc zone was coming into its own when Loaded was the biggest magazine in England, when FHM was on the rise. So there was a real kind of, um, let's see how far we can push it mentality. Um, In hindsight, there's some stuff I wish we hadn't done. Um, Readers seemed to like it at the time. Um, And we would occasionally drift in where we pushed it a little too far, I think. And we did get into trouble from time to time. A few of those troubles then, I just mentioned a few of them. There was obviously yeah. the, uh, you sound like you're bracing yourself. Um, <laughs> yeah, there was the, uh, the frontier. I remember. <laughs> <laughs> there was the frontier uh, first encounters turd in a bow, of course. Um, bundling some dodgy Doom levels on a cover CD, which I think was the same issue as Bioforge. <laughs> and, well, Colkey's rocket, rocket Attack on EA, of course. I don't know if that was controversial, but it was damn funny. They, um, EA were not happy. <laughs> I was just going to say, which which was the biggest headache you had to deal with? The biggest headache we had to deal with was Charlie's um, Lara Croft Cruelty Zoo comic strip, um, which was basically eight panels of Lara Croft shooting animals. Um, and the RSPCA got really upset and tried to get PC Zone pulled off newsstands, and that got really ugly. Your reign on the mag started, I believe, with Doom 2. I think it was reviewed in your, in issue 20 and yeah. ended with a review of Quake. Yeah. Um, and obviously there was Duke Nukem 3D somewhere in the middle. Yeah. So I guess you kind of oversaw a golden age of shooters. But I want to quickly ask you about that last issue in charge, that 16-page 16 <laughs> 16 Quake review, which uh-huh. was the longest review Zone ever published. And I wouldn't be surprised if it was the longest review any magazine published. Maca probably didn't have to work for months afterwards. <laughs> was was Quake that much of a big deal? Yeah, it was all anybody wanted at the time. It was like the, it was kind. Of, I mean, we we were. I mean, we were definitely feeding that, but just the the anticipation from the readers was. You know, Quake was technologically and design, and it was the next generation of of how things were going to look, and it was. Arguably, I think Quake was more influential than Doom in terms of what it delivered on, just because it was it was the foundation of a full 3D first-person environment and game and, you know, so many things that came after owe a lot to, to what Quake was doing. Um, 
so we just we just doubled down on it and it was it was you know the feedback we were getting from the readers was what that's what they wanted more than anything else so it was sort of all right let's give it all we've got and uh and and david didn't seem phased at the time about writing that much and it also gave us an opportunity you know we could do a lot with the screenshots and stuff as well to to make it feel like a big deal um yeah i'd forgotten it was that big i suppose there are some games that you know are worth it yeah um okay so just the just lastly then uh you checked out um as editor at the end of 96 and as publisher at the end of 97 i think yeah yeah. When you move, when you move to conquer the states, how how do you look back on your time on PC Zone? Oh, I lo- I mean, loved it. I mean, I think I mean I certainly wouldn't be doing what I'm doing now if I hadn't gone to gone to PC Zone. It was um, the PC gaming space is is super important. I think right now it's more important than ever because it's at the heart of what's driving you know any game, particularly in the last year, that is driven by the culture, you know, if you look at Fall Guys and you look at Among Us and you look at Valheim and it's the PC audience and then people streaming the games on their PC, that's what's really at the heart of everything. So I think it's it's good to have been part of the early days of that. Um, under yourself and uh, and Jeremy, I guess I guess in a way that you you kind of share the same era yeah. of PC Zone the magazine kind of found its identity almost. Do you think that's the case? And, and are you happy to take credit for that? I, no, I'm not happy to take credit for it. I think the identity was the writers. I think, you know, when people think of PC Zone at its best, do they think of Macca and Duncan and Patrick and, and, and Charlie, and they remember Kulki really fondly. And I think all of those things... At the time, we I don't think we realized what it was that we were really establishing. I mean, if you look at what Kulki was doing on the cover discs and the missile attack on EA, uh, you know, that was not even proto-YouTube. You know, I mean, it's like, it's it's the kind of stuff that does millions of views on YouTube now, but we were doing that, you know, in a 320 by 200 video one window, sometimes hidden on a CD-ROM. Like, you know, we didn't even always promote those things. They were bonuses for the readers to find if they went through the directory sometimes. Um, you know, we were focused on thinking about what the what the readers really responded to. And I think it all came from a place of really loving games. And I think that that's what was really instrumental in... in if, I think that's where the voice came from. It was, you know, people really related to the writers. So I think what Jeremy and I had the luxury of doing was there was enough of a framework in place that we could we could let them go nuts a little bit and see, you know, the the important thing was when we did butt up against the boundaries, we had to recognize that and rein it back in a bit. Um, but uh, yeah, I think there's, there's there's a view of that period of time as well where it was, you know, maybe a little male <laughs> um <laughs> that I, I kind of wish we'd have reined in a bit more. I mean, it was, it was a, it was, it was a factor of the time that it was happening. There's bits, you know, I, I wasn't in hindsight. I wish we hadn't done how phallic is this joystick reviewed by a nun, you know? <laughs> 
Yeah, it does. It <laughs> hasn't aged well. It <laughs> hasn't aged well, and I sort of wish we hadn't done it. We thought it was funny at the time. Um, but we, I think the one thing people might forget about PC Zone is that we were doing that very tongue-in-cheek, and we were, we were kind of taking the piss because we were looking at what Loaded and FHM and stuff was doing. And so it was... It's, it sounds a little bit like trying to make excuses for it, but it wasn't, it, it, the, the misogyny wasn't as pure as it might be perceived, I think. There's a, there was a bit of a like, you know, this is the kind of dumb shit that all these men's mags are doing. So we're just gonna, we're gonna kind of poke fun at it a little bit. Um, and that was definitely Charlie's influence in particular, which was very much like, let's, let's satirize stuff. Yeah, I think that comes across, yeah. Right, Jeremy, you took over the mag from issue 44 when Chris Anderson became your deputy and Paul Mallinson came in as news editor. And uh, just as John's tenure was bookended by Doom and Quake, yours was all about the Tomb Raider games. Uh, Tomb Raider 3 was one of your last covers and the original Tomb Raider was one of your first. We, I mean, that was a personal favourite because we, at the time, and I think it was like John said that you know you had loaded FHM, you had all Maxim had just been launched by Dennis as well. It, it was Lad Mags, it was um, you know Nuts. I think came a bit later and all that, but it was it was very much at the time of you know sort of called Britannia Mark Two and and Oasis and Blur and Raves and and very sort of laddie. And and I we had the idea of putting the shooting a, a live model dressed up as, as Lara Croft um, and to put that on the cover just to see if it would work, you know. Um, and I can remember Idos uh, saying, you know, we've got some really good renders. You should, you know, look at this. It's, it's, it's Lara swinging through a forest and here's one of Lara, you know, doing a tumble with her guns out and stuff. And and, and the, art, the art editor at the time, I think it was Wag, was like, no, no, let's do this. This is going to be different. Because all the magazines sort of looked the same with a render on the front. So we went a bit sort of left of field. And I, I think Tim was like, no, no, we can't do that. Um, I think John was quite supportive of it. And we shot this. We had a photographer friend and he had a model. And we, we, we bought some toy guns and some shorts and some boots. And we, we shot it. Um, and we put her on the cover um and the issue i mean the game had by that point the hype had really building and everyone was getting behind tomb raider it's the first sort of game of its kind really um and we had the demo on the magazine and we had a, a pretty girl on the cover in hot pants with guns and that issue sold out within days i think and then idos i think they bought the photos off us and started to use live models in promoting the game so that you know if it that it wasn't their idea. It was our, I think it, well, they claimed it, my idea to put a girl on the cover just to see if it would work because we would, at that point as well, I think, you know, PlayStation had come out and games weren't geeky as geeky. PC gaming still was a bit geeky, but um, games were cool. You know, games, there was a lot of marketing dollars being spent on making games cool. So we kind of fed into that a bit. Do you think PC Zone had by this point gone a bit too generous in handing out awards? Um, I mean, in your first issues editor, every game was either a classic or a recommended. I think if if I didn't know that actually that everything got eighty or percent, but um, if if that was the case, then I would say that was us cherry picking the best games because there was always a lot around at that time of the year, and it was it was up to the to the writers really. I don't think I. I would question some scores sometimes, but I would I would never you know if that's what they wanted. I mean, the, 
but it had it didn't have my name on the review it had their name and obviously i was as editor ultimately responsible but i think part of the reason that zone was was so successful was that you know we gave the readers the the, the, the writers had their own sort of personalities and their voices and the readers got to understand that and it was kind of the magazine was a kind of it was a bit like a youth club for sort of game playing sort of pc geeks really <laughs> true you were something of a game playing geek yourself especially when it came to championship manager the forerunner of course of uh, football manager and a game i recall was always running in the background your pc all the time it was always there it was always there with with windows 95 you could have all the windows open you could just alt tab it um yeah now i i i played championship manager on on the amiga um when it came out uh on a four floppy disks and and it just patrick mccarthy was a big fan um and i used to play it all the time chris would just say it's just a bloody spreadsheet what what are you doing but yeah i I was really into championship i haven't played it for a while actually i didn't i I lost girlfriends and and friends and lots of stuff through it and i would regularly play throughout the night and you'd 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 hear the birds singing you're like oh shit it's five o'clock in the morning what am i gonna do should i even bother going to bed um but yeah no i don't i don't i don't play it now really i daren't play it now um but yeah that was a that was a favorite but there were loads i mean there were cool games one of the one of my fondest memories because we, we were down in the basement and we were next to metal hammer magazine and hi-fi choice i think um so we'd always have music on and there'd be people coming in and out and having a drink and stuff and but i remember sitting uh sitting we all playing quake i think quake had just come out um and this little dude sort of came in all dressed in black and was like, what's this? And we're like, it's, uh, it's Quake. And uh, he's like, what is this? I want to play this. So he sat down and showed him what to do and stuff. And he sat there for hours playing, all playing, all playing Network Quake. And um, and then it turned out, the editor came out and was like, has anyone seen Bruce? And we're like, Who, who's Bruce? He's like, Bruce Dickinson, Iron Maiden. And we're like, Oh right, it's your name, Bruce. Because <laughs> I didn't know who he was, um, and uh, he's like, "Yeah, give me a minute." He says, "You've got to give me a copy of this," um, and we told him what PC to get and stuff, and uh, and away he went. So you know, it was kind of, you know, we a lot of people played a lot of games, and it was kind of what you know, just just one of the things that we we did it, at the weekends. People wouldn't wouldn't go home; they'd just hang out in the office and just play. Uh, so as well as Championship Manager and Quake, PC Zone became synonymous with a few games uh, around this time, not least with the controversial Death Race-inspired Carmageddon. Do you remember seeing that for the first time? Yeah, again, because we'd, we'd been working with the publisher, who was it? I can't remember. Um, SCI, for a long time. Um, and we're like, this is really good. You should do this and you should do this. And it was the same as with, with Grand Theft Auto. I remember they brought it in. And it was a top-down, sort of side-scrolling driving game, and we were like, "Oh yeah, this would be good." But you should put some Harry Krishnas and stuff, and you should do this, and you should, you know. So we were quite sort of, um, quite quite supportive if we if we really liked something and we really got behind it. But now there were some great games, and Dungeon Keeper was amazing. It was just like so new; you weren't playing it as a, as the sort of hero. You were the sort of the anti-hero and stuff. And that was, that was great. And there were some great, you know, great original 
stuff. It wasn't so sequel-driven back then. There was still, I think, a lot more creativity. Okay, issue 68 was your last as editor, Jeremy, which came after a period when um, Mark Hyam came in to oversee a massive uh, redesign in 1998. Um, there was a new logo, new cover price, new look, etc. How do you look back on your two years leading PC Zone into its next evolutionary phase? Yeah, I loved it. I mean, it was uh, work with some great people. It didn't seem like work you know, a lot of the time. I and mean, there was, you know, we used to do all-nighters and stuff, but but most of the people that we that were there when I was there, certainly initially, were, were great fun, really talented, you know, incredibly talented writers. And and as, as editor, I just, we just sort of let them get on with it, really. And it, it kind of ran itself without taking too much away from, you know, the art team and the sub-editors and stuff. But it was, it was a really fun time. And, and like I said, games suddenly got, a bit sexy and interesting with PlayStation. So it was it was a good time to be working in the industry at, at that point. Okay, John Davison and Jeremy Wells there, who between them took PC Zone from awkward teenager to almost respectable adult. Almost. The magazine still had some growing up to do to match the maturity of PC gaming in 1998 and 1999, which became the mission of its fifth editor, Chris Anderson, who took on the challenge from issue 72, the January 1999 issue, later to make way for soon-to-be deputy Dave Woods early in 2001. Welcome to you both. Hi, Richie. Hi, Richie. Thank you. <laughs> um, actually, Chris, you'd effectively been in charge for a while under um, editor-in-chief Mark Hyam, and had overseen um, you had overseen the redesign the previous summer when Zone received a new look and new price and was pretty much a new magazine from beginning to end. Were you happy about the way that redesign had gone? Um, I was quite happy. I mean, I was really happy working with Mark anyway because I learned so much from him. He, he had so much experience when he came to the magazine on various magazines he, he there was nothing about publishing he didn't know and i learned a lot from him and during the redesign as well i learned a lot about how to put a magazine together so yeah it, it was it was great the whole thing was great how did you initially come to join the pieces own team because you started way back as a freelancer on issue eight i think well, I started as a freelancer, and I ended up uh, doing a lot of stuff for Lawrence Scottford. And it was his idea um, to, for me to come full-time in the magazine. And I spoke to Tim Ponting about it, and we kind of came to the, to the conclusion that it would be best for me to come in as a feature editor to start with, and then kind of work my my way up from there. And that's actually exactly what happened. So it was just a case of a freelancer being approached to work uh, full-time in the magazine. But I think it was mostly Lawrence that had a lot to do with that. Okay, so you and by the time you became the editor, you'd worked under all four of um, the previous editors. Yeah, I tried them all out. <laughs> and yeah, obviously you were Jeremy's deputy, what had you learned from them all, you know, good or bad? Obviously, I learned a lot of things um, from speaking to them. I learned a lot from Jeremy, but it's um, really that you 
you learn the most when you're put in the hot seat and just have to do it yourself. Yeah. I mean, one of the things you, you kind of became known for was bringing in a more of a, a stringent kind of scoring system. I, I was actually looking at the issue when Jeremy was first editor and every single review gets an award. Every every review is either a classic or a recommended and the lowest score is 82, <laughs> which is kind of a bit crazy. It was completely crazy, yeah. I, but it's it's really simple. It, it, there's nothing complicated about it. I, I just decided that when you think about it, all the magazine really is, is a buyer's guide. That's what we're there for. And if you tell everyone to buy everything, that doesn't help anyone. But did it create an issue, though? Because in the example I, I always come back to is Quake, Quake 3 Arena. Right which got 89% a few issues after Unreal Tournament got 90. And that, Dave, wasn't that one of your first reviews? I remember I, we went to a um, lunch with the PR um, and Chris took great delight in saying, you go and tell the PR person that it got 89%. And I, I was quite green because I'd only just started. So I sort of just skipped along and he was like, you know, what score did it get? And I said 89. And he just lit a cigarette up straight away, went pale. Um that levelling that people had that 90 and above was the only score they wanted um, made it really tricky. But I think, you know, you can't complain at a score of 89 and a score of 90, there's hardly any difference between them. It actually seemed to go down really well with the freelancers because I said to people, the text will tell people what they need to know about the game. You don't have to say it through the score because that's a cop-out as well. Just giving something 90 tells people it's good. I think in a way, you know, Chris was ahead of his time because we talk about, it's talked about as a strict scoring system and it wasn't. It was a scoring system. It was normal. What had happened was that there'd been a a shift so that it was all fucked up before. You know, we're talking about the lowest score in in the initial getting 80%. It's ridiculous. You know, it's like you're scoring from 70 to 100 rather than 0 to 100. Um, and, you know, a lot of the, you know, more modern, better game websites have done away with scores completely. Because like Chris says, you know, it's the text that's going to tell you what the what the game's about. Makes sense. Um, Chris, how, how did um, you come to select Dave as your deputy editor? We, we just did um, a couple of interviews. It was obvious for me when we sat down with Dave that, that he would suit the magazine. And obviously... It, he loves games and everything. It was. It just seemed like a natural fit. I remember, you know, distinctly, it was quite a big thing for me, this was. So I was at Future, I was on PC Review, and I was sat in the big open plan office, and I remember getting a call from Chris. Um, wasn't expecting, obviously completely out of the blue, uh, expecting it to be a PR person. And, and it was Chris saying, oh, it's Chris Anderson here from PC Zone. Um, have you got a minute to talk? And, and it was felt very clandestine, you know, talking to competition and it was quite exciting and he said you know we'd like to talk to you about this job yeah well dodgy yeah (laughs) came at a perfect time for me um i really you know fancied a move london sounded brilliant loved pc zone um and you would have been obviously very aware of the rivalry between zone and gamer that that was a bit of a myth i think that the whole rivalry between all the magazines because we all went on trips together and we all got on well it was it was obviously we all wanted to be number one, but really there was no animosity, I don't think. Not not between not between people on the magazines themselves, no. I think we all kind of got on with everyone whenever we met each other. But obviously as a team, 
as a tribe. It was pretty. It got quite intense. Yeah, I think I think that it was maybe more on PC gamers' side when I was down at Future than it was. I think Zone was was very happy in itself and very cool, and it did its own thing. And and I don't think that at that time they were that bothered about Gamer. I think Gamer were bothered about Zone. Um, and well, I, Zone Zone was pretty was number one, wasn't it? Really, I think after the redesign went through quite a good period. Yeah, but I think that the period after Chris left, and I, I'm, I'm hoping I don't think it was me. <laughs> Chris <laughs> left uh, the the. The rivalry did get really intense, but like Chris says, it wasn't you know between journalists who went on PR trips, and a lot of the zone journalists are really friendly with the PC game journalists. It was very much at the sort of editor publisher level um, when the whole you know stealing exclusives uh, on game side got really nasty, and and you know that that became the editor's big job basically. That seemed to be all he did rather than doing magazine. It was just I'm going to steal every single exclusive that Zone's got. So. And that's when we started fighting back, and that's when it all got a bit stupid. But it wasn't, I don't remember that really happening while I was deped under Chris. Well, it is true about us being in our own little bubble. We really didn't care that much about them. We just left them to get on with it and just kind of worried more about ourselves. And that's exactly how magazine people should be, you know. It is really. Um, yeah, it sort of developed into, you know, maybe. Something different, I think, from my editorship onwards, um, and that that definitely became much more of a focus. Looking back on your the issues that you you did edit, um, Chris, there were some obviously some you, there were some great games in there. Um, Unreal Tournament, we talked about Dungeon Keeper Two, Planescape Torment, Tiberian Sun, System Shock Two, Deus Ex, Homeworld. Did you have any favourites in there, or any favourite issues? What was undoubtedly a big issue, I think, for me because I'm a massive RPG fan, was the Deus Ex issue. That was that was a real event, just because it was a game that kind of changed everything. It's, it's still kind of just ripples throughout the industry, even today, from how much it, it completely changed the approach to what an open-world RPG could be. That, that was my favourite issue, because I just couldn't wait to play it. It was a, a really big deal, the whole thing. Chris, you're always always a fan of MMOs, of course. I remember you playing, oh, what was it, Origin, what was it, Ultima Online, of course, and EverQuest. Oh, yeah. Did you think you rather played them a bit too much, though? I absolutely played them too much because you did come in pretty shattered. Everything. I played them absolutely to death. That they, 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 all these games, well, not all of them, but I mean, I played quite a few MMOs, and none of them ever got me the way. Ultimate Online and EverQuest did because they changed completely. They became really casual. So it, it, it was, I don't think people were ever going to get as addicted to them now as they would have done back then. But yeah, I, I spent way too much time playing them, far too much. And I don't regret any of it, unfortunately. <laughs> when you look back, though, Chris, on your time as editor, um, do you look back fondly on, on those issues on that time? I do. It was one of the best times of my life. I really loved it. I loved the magazine. I loved the people who worked on it. And I loved the industry. I loved all the people in the industry. It was just a fantastic time. And Dave, you took over just before the issue 100, um, the birthday issue, I guess. And despite being someone who worked at Future, you did a 
and I know we talked about the rivalry, but you did a pretty good job at stoking <laughs> stoking up the rivalry. Um, did you have any residual loyalty towards your former employer? Um, if anything, it was it was completely the opposite. I, w- I was really glad to leave at the time. Um, no residual loyalty. I think I did stoke the fires, but only when the the flames had been well and truly lit. I'm just very competitive, and and some of the stuff that happened really got my back up. Um, so we just started fighting. Um, what were the? Um, I mean, you you edited so many issues. I mean, um, I think I worked it out. It's fifty four. Um, what were the highlights? Yeah, I didn't realise I was the longest running editor. So oh, by far, by far, that makes me very proud. Um, uh, I mean, you know, echoing what Chris said, it was just an absolutely fantastic time in my life. I, I just loved it from start to finish. Uh, I loved all the people. I loved the industry. Um, secretly, you know, even a little bit of me quite liked the rivalry towards the end. It was even though it was it was causing stress. It was it was quite an addictive thing. Um, highlights, uh, you know, show hundred was was big, even though I hadn't been there that long. Um, I knew it was a big deal, and you know, we we got extra budget, and uh, you know, we knew that it was a special issue, and, and it was a real ball ache, the black and white exclusive. You know, this was my sort of introduction, really. When Chris left, it was my first editor's job, and and like he was saying about being dumped in the hot seat, you know, it's like suddenly, you know, you're you're hanging by a rope and there's someone telling you what to do. And then when he leaves, he just cuts the rope and you're like, right, what do I do now? And it, it, it's very much, you know, learn quickly on the job. Um, but yeah, black and white and that nearly slipped, but in the end we, we got it together and it looked fantastic because we had it in a nice big box. Yeah. Like a cereal um, box. Wasn't it? Yeah. And uh, good and evil, good cow, evil cow on the cover. Um, yeah, it was that, that was a highlight. That, but the, the big highlight, you know, was Half Life Two. We worked exceptionally hard for that, um, and like Chris was saying, you know, Deus Ex was a, a real moment in PC gaming, and obviously Half Life Two was as well. Um, so to break something like that was was a very proud moment. But you know, in terms of highlights, I mean, it, the whole time it sounds really cliched, but um, my whole time on Zone was was fantastic. Like Chris says, best time of my life. Absolutely brilliant. Absolutely loved it. Um, but during your time, of course, you would have heard about, you would have known that Future was was buying Zone. Can you remember when you were told about that and what you thought? Yeah, so I wasn't told. Um, you know, the first I knew about it was was turning up to work with a really bad hangover, um, walking in the office. Now, I was a little bit late, I think, and I just saw the looks on people's faces when I came in. And I was like, right, something's up. Did I do last night? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So I was quite glad when I saw Future there. Um, so then I looked around and, and then, yeah, the people I knew from Future were standing there um, with smirks on the faces. They probably didn't, but I think I sort of put them there in my mind, you know, the, the sort of evil, evil suit people. Um, but that's the first I knew about it. So I was a bit miffed by that. I think, you know, the deal was worth a lot of money and it wasn't just Zone. It was the whole game's shebang from from tennis so you know it's a lot of money but i still think that the senior people should have been told um you know just to sort of walk in and see the enemy in the office it, and it was obvious straight away what was happening you know it wasn't they weren't there to to sort of offer an olive branch and say look here's some exclusives back 
um, you knew instantly they were there to buy you and buy the magazine. And, and it was just a real sort of sinking feeling. We'd gone out to a different office at this point. Yeah, We were out in sort of East London, um, which was a bit weird there. It was a, quite a nice office, but there was no one else there. And it was us and our publisher. And it was very much like we sort of knew that, that the magazine was sort of on its last legs because Dennis just didn't care about us anymore. Um, you know, we'd been stuffed out here. And they gave a good reason for it. Oh, this is amazing. Look, you've got your own special place. And it's, <laughs> and it's like, look, we're not kids. We know that this isn't good. Um, hmm. And then, yeah, Future turned up and um, and it was just a sinking feeling because everything that's going through your mind, it's like, you know, should I quit? Should I walk out now? Should I, you know... Um, get on a desk and start shouting and screaming. Um, but what you know is that in a couple of weeks' time, you're going to be going to the future office rather than the dentist office. And, and that, you know, that was a really depressing feeling. You stayed for quite a few issues after Zone was, was part of Future. So did you, did you enjoy that time um, in spite of being part of future i mean i mean obviously you were talk you there were people you knew and you got on with them of course but did zone then feel like it was the you know the b grade magazine that its days were numbered and therefore it was just you were just kind of trading water or something i mean did it did it feel different yeah i think to a certain extent it had to um but the people at future were, were great you know when i'm talking about the sort of evil future there's certain people and there's certain things that were going on that i didn't like but um, we when we went to Future, the publisher we had was was fantastic. Um, he was one of the good guys, and and he's got out the the industry now. And um, you know, there, there was a lot of stuff that he didn't like there as well. Um, and you know, we were in an open plan office with loads of other magazines, so uh, games magazines as well, which we didn't have at, at Dennis. So, so there were some good things, but you know, I knew, and I think most people knew that this was the end for for Zone. It was just a matter of of how long it would go on for. I didn't have the, the sort of balls to just rage quit, which I probably, you know, in, in a romantic video game version of your life, that's that's what you do. Um, but I, yeah, I, I really wanted to get out. I just didn't want to, you know, it felt there's a, Felix Dennis was a, was a poet as well. One of the poems that I really liked of his was Never Go Back. Um, it was just talking about never going back in life and, and always pushing forward. And, and, and that's just kept going through my mind all the time. Never go back. And that's what it felt like. It felt like a real backward step. And, and it felt like it was, you know, what we've talked about of Zone as, as being this amazing place, amazing time in our lives. It was really sad knowing that this was happening to it. So a lot of the pleasure of actually the magazine got sucked out of it. And then it was just the people um, and the job uh, and, you know, the socialising, which was great, but it wasn't Zone anymore. It didn't, it, it just wasn't, you know, it didn't feel like that for me. Um, Were you surprised that Zone kind of carried on for another ooh, five, well, after you left, maybe, what was it four or five years? Yeah, I, I think so. Um, I wasn't expecting it to last that long, really. Um, but I mean, Future would only keep it open if it was making money. Uh, and that would go for anyone, you know, it's business. So it was obviously scraping um, a bit of profit, Um but yeah, it was surprising. I mean, it, it seemed to me that they'd bought these things to kill them, um, you know, like CVG. Um, and, and with Zone, it was just a very long, protracted death. Um, so yeah, I was surprised. 
Um, how would you, I mean, I've been thinking about how to characterize each each kind of era of zone. I mean, the reason I've kind of split everyone into pairs is because I kind of see these four eras of zone. And I think when John and Jeremy were in charge of things, zone kind of found its identity to a degree. Um, and that's what kind of defined it. What? How would you define, how would you characterize zone during um, your shared kind of tenure of zone? How would you characterize it? I think reader centric was was how I would describe it. I think Chris sort of touched on this before a little bit. I was always of the opinion that that you know we weren't these aloof characters that we were gamers first and foremost and um and everything we did sort of led back into that but in terms of the actual um identity of zone you know I I really wanted to keep up this humor the the identity that had come you know through from from the launch and i think you're dictated to a certain extent by the writers that you have and i think you know with with writers like charlie brooker and, and steve hill it's, it's a lot easier to have that humor because you can't just get writers to be funny it, it comes across as awful forced terrible you know you're either funny or you're not steve hill was funny um, everyone else had moments, but we weren't sort of, you know, humorous writers. So I think that the magazine sort of went a little bit straighter under me, but that wasn't a, a conscious thing. It was just the way that it evolved with the um, the writers that we had. I don't think it changed um, very much at all, really, because like Dave said, the identity of the magazine was established already and it was a really strong one. So why would you want to change it? it? It was it was such a good framework to to work within that I didn't I never felt any need to change it. The only big thing for me, of course, was the, the scoring system. I suppose I made my mark that way. But I mean, really, all the the hard work had already been done before I was ever editor. Like we had some amazing writers and a kind of style that readers became used to that only we had. So there wasn't really anything in, in terms of um, approach that, that I felt should be changed. Yeah. And I think, you know, the the writers that we got in or the ones that I bought in, um, so we carried on with Steve Hill. Um, I wanted to bring in writers with a very much sort of zone. So, you know, Will was a, was a reader. I think Martin was a reader as well, wasn't he? Um, Corder came in as a fan. Will sent a brilliant email that just, um, and I knew instantly that he'd be a good writer and a good fit. Um, I was really keen to bring some some women in as well. It was very much a, a male only place. Um, so I brought you know Susie and, and Rihanna in, um, and uh, I think that was really good as well. I think that you know the zone was was there for a long time and and the whole lad mag thing that was a, a massive sort of uh um success in the in the publishing world and, and if you go back to the start of it it was really fucking good as well that was why it was successful the writers on loaded were brilliant um and as with everything you know it just eventually you know the the identity the, the sort of what made that so good and the zeitgeist changed as well and, and the writers and and gradually, those magazines just became tits. That was it, you know, and, and it wasn't like that at the start. So I think that Zone had to change with the times as well. 
um, a little bit. And um, I think, you know, getting some women on the team was was really necessary and really good. Um, and maybe things would tone down, you know, a little bit. But I think I just went with how you felt things were going at the time as well. Those were the voices of Chris Anderson and Dave Woods, who guided PC Zone up to and beyond a midlife crisis that saw it divorced from Felix Dennis and immediately thrown into a marriage of convenience with rival Future Publishing, which, as it turned out, lasted longer than anyone expected it to. Was it because PC Zone was forever locked in PC Gamer's sex dungeon, or were there moments of undisclosed tenderness in amongst the abuse? Here with the answers are PC Zone's seventh and eighth editors, Jamie Sefton and Will Porter who between them oversaw more than 40 issues from 2005 to 2008 and appear to have led fairly normal life since. Hello, chaps. Hello. Hello. Was it really 40? I can't believe that. I can't believe that 41, maybe, yeah. Wow. 41, yeah. that's crazy. Yeah, here we go. We're getting to the kind of the classic era of PC Zone. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this is it. <laughs> so there was a classic element to it, but I mean, I'll get to that in a bit. Um Let's start at the beginning. And uh, Jamie, how you how you came to join the PC Zone team? Yeah, I was basically um, given uh, an opportunity to join PC Zone when my, the magazine I was on at Dennis uh, folded. So um, it was a magazine called Play Nation, uh, which Warren Christmas used to edit, and Warren obviously um, uh, used to write for PC Zone as well. And yeah, I kind of I came from Future to join Play Nation because uh, they gave me a ridiculous pay rise compared with future so I moved back to London and joined Dennis and um and then after six months the magazine shut down I think it was about six months or about that time and then um I had basically um I remember it as the publisher of um PC Zone uh Duncan uh asked me and said you know obviously it's a shame that Play Nation is closing down but we'd like you to join PC Zone um and I remember thinking wow that's Brilliant, yeah, of course, I'd love to. And I was delighted to join PC Zone. You know, I'd been a an avid reader back in the day, and um, you know, it was, PC Zone was one of the reasons why I wanted to get into writing for video game mags. You know, it was um, reading Brooker's kind of back pages that would just used to rip the piss out of readers, and you know, just the whole attitude of the magazine was just so good, and it was just such a funny magazine. I just, you know, really jumped at the chance, really. Uh, Will, you kind of started a little bit after Jamie, but you're both kind of of the same era. How, how did you come to, to join the team? Uh, so basically I was doing that very of its period thing where I wanted to get into the media in, like in London's trendy London. I didn't really know quite what or where. So I was basically sleeping on a mate's floor and um, just doing a mixture of temping and like work experience at different magazines and record producers and all the cool stuff basically I wanted to do uh and then one day I thought I'd I don't know why it never occurred to me not to to, because obviously I have been his own reader but for whatever reason video games weren't in my head at the time but then I suddenly had this thing why don't I just email uh PC's own and um and then yeah basically it just so happened that he said well we don't do work experience this is from Dave Dave Woods but what we do have is we are advertising for a, um, a editorial assistant. Uh, and, you know, you should definitely go for that because I found your email quite entertaining. 
in it, but, but so basically, yeah, I did that and I ended up with the job. But I mean, in those days, editorial assistant was generally just doing the disc pages and making tea. But I don't think anyone realizes quite what an extent like making tea was for everybody on the team was my main job. So I was basically a servant. <laughs> you you will have heard, of course, Dave Woods, um, your predecessor Jamie, talking about the takeover by Future and that he wasn't mm. really happy. And that he felt that zone that he had joined had ceased to exist, <laughs> effectively. Mm, mm. As someone who, who's also started out in future before joining PC Zone, were you a little more positive about returning? Uh, yeah, I think I was. I mean, initially, I was I was shocked as well because um, you know, like Dave said, you know, we came into the office and then suddenly there was the the higher ups, you know, the grown ups from future in the room with our publisher and it was like ah right we've been sold so I just remember it I, I put like a, a message on my answer phone of like no future you know <laughs> from uh, Sex Pistols just we just went to the pub and just got got drunk which seems to be actually quite a bit of a theme um, with with talking about PC Zone but yeah um, but afterwards I was kind of well I've already worked for Future I know a lot of the people who work there and you know and I still knew journalists and people who worked at Future and Future London, I think, was very different to Future Bath. Uh, I mean, Steve Hill insulted me when I first moved to to London, called me, are you, are you one of the bedwetters from Bath? You know, that was his <laughs> um, exact phrase that he used. And I think there was quite a difference between Future Bath and Future London in that Future London was, um, you know, much more of a kind of... Um, um, I suppose lifestyley kind of place, you know, and there was it didn't feel a huge change for me from Dennis. The only thing I think mainly was um the the kind of um the budgets and things were immediately affected and there was less free reign to kind of do what we wanted with that. Um but that's probably one of the reasons why we got bought was because we just used to spend ridiculous amounts of money on you know we I mean I remember one one day first day of the magazine Dave said right we've got uh we might as well just freelance out quite a bit of it uh let's go and get some um uh pims pims and lemonade so we just freelanced out the whole magazine and went went and got some pims because it was a nice sunny day. Um, that was a lovely day. And that a was a really lovely day. yeah it was a lovely warm day and we just drank pims and that's probably why the magazine wasn't making as much money as it should have done and that those kind of days obviously went but it was a great i mean the future london office it was brilliant it was brilliant because there was lots of other mags in there official xbox and after a while you know official nintendo was held there which i was really excited about because i was a massive nintendo fan so I, you know i got to write um re- a recover review from official nintendo so as far as moving back to future um it was fine and and actually our contracts continued as well because i remember there was a bit of um uh, kind of not well. Was it bad feeling? Will I don't know. But we we basically you know all the future guys had to start at like nine thirty, and we could like breeze in at ten o'clock because our contract was still the Dennis contract, and they'd bought out all the Dennis contracts. And then after I think about five years, we could still have a um, sabbatical as well um, for six weeks. So we had a very different contract. And so yeah, as far as like pay and all that kind of stuff, it was it was fine. And I I I didn't particularly. You know, after the sort of shock of it happening, um, I wasn't particularly bothered. But it was different. It was different. It was. Oh yeah. It was. It was a lot more um, uh, corporate as well. 
Uh, Will, you were promoted to deputy editor when Dave moved on, um, mm-hmm. but you were perhaps PC Zone's biggest fan, having been a reader since, I don't know, pretty early on. And I guess in a way you you bought into the rivalry, um, even if it was partially manufactured at, at times. So how, how did you, how did you square that away with, with moving into future? Um, I, well, the, the dam had kind of broken slightly with me because I'd actually become very good friends with some of the PC gamer team, the team, me and Tim Edwards, the later, the editor of PC gamer, we actually, we shared a bed because <laughs> I was so drunk and I had, we, I spent the night in his hotel room and we bonded that night. Literally and, going to bed with PC gamer, <laughs> and I came in. And I told everybody, but that was a massive thing. Like I said, when like even just like even to just gently brush hands with someone PC gamer was was a, was a damning thing. I remember everyone was looking at me, and yeah. So, but then again, I think that it was always that rivalry didn't really go away. We were still trying to always like get at them, and they'd be trying to get at us, and we'd always get their their magazine in. It'd be funny, just a little ritual to be flicking through pieces of game. You'd be like, shit, 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 boring. <laughs> shit, shit. Done that. How'd they get that one first? Shit, boring. Not funny. I, I often shit, know. Boring. I, I mean, bless them, you know, uh, I often, um, I, I just wouldn't look at PC game. I wasn't interested. You, I mean, you'd have to tell <laughs> me. You actually used to say that. You say you just you used to be like not interested. Well, they got the yeah. not, interested. not interested. Yeah, I, I literally wasn't. I just I, I don't even even look at it. And it wasn't. It wasn't. You know. I mean, it was. It, they were making the best magazine they could, obviously. And I think it was Ross who was my um, kind of rival editor at the time. But I really didn't, you know, I wasn't interested in what they were doing. I was like, right, I'm just going to make the best magazine that I want to make for Zone. And we're just going to kick their asses with, you know, content and just make it as funny as possible. So, well, yeah, yeah that's, that's what I'm kind of getting at. I mean, obviously, the the dynamic had changed. I mean, in the years previous, it was a case of always trying to get the best games on the cover and, and fighting for demos and stuff. I mean, at this period, I guess you were always going to be second on that front. So how, what on what level were you competing? Well, at, fir- at first, I think we were kind of left in our own little... There was, there's, there's such a difference between Future Bath and Future London as well. We were still pitching for stuff, and at least from, from my level, it sounded the same. It's only really towards the end of my tenure that, that I was aware that there was covers being taken away from us. There's a total mm-hmm. war one. Um, and uh, I was sat in this virtual meeting and a publisher I get on with quite well now, at the time he was not my favourite of the month. And th- they said, oh, and of course, PC Gamer have got, I don't know, it's Empire Total War, Napoleon Total War, one of them. Mm-hmm. And I was just in the meeting, I was like, oh, you bastards, how did you get, how did you get that? Because it's been promised to us since forever. And then the publisher just, j- j- just said, of course they've got it. Will just you know the real just shut up, sit down moment. And well, um, I see. I, I, I never, that, I never that, had that. That that was it was quite. And I think that was kind of the thing that kind of tipped the ball rolling to me leaving. Really, even though I mean I've got a lot of time for that publishing now. It's a very different time now. No, I think they were very um, they were very hands off for us actually. I think when because I think they were a bit almost like not not. I think scared is the wrong word others but they were very aware that we could just all just get up and leave <laughs> so i think they were kind of you know they were very kind of kid gloves with us certainly in that first year i would say you know there was and all the exclusives and everything were were honored and there wasn't any kind of giving it to pc game i mean we wouldn't have stood for anything like that we were, we were very 
um, kind of um, protective of PC Zone, and um, and I, th- I just remember them being, you know, being very hand hands off and kind of just letting us get on with it. Jamie, you're in temporary charge for a few issues when Dave was overseeing a, you know, that that big redesign, yeah. probably with yeah. a bottle of Pims by his side, um, taking over the issue. <laughs> Uh, was it one five nine when PC Zone went all oblique and trendy? Um, mm. Were you were you happy about the new look? The redesign, I think, was mostly out of necessity because of the fact that um, it was a you know PC Zone was a big magazine and we just couldn't keep up writing five hundred words a page. So one of the main considerations was was taking down the the, the word count per page because. At future, you know, we had less budget. Um, there were less people on the team, so we had to kind of write more ourselves. And there was no way we were going to be able to write a five hundred word a page magazine, which was, you know, it was one of just it was just one of these things. It just we couldn't do it. So that was one of the considerations for for the redesign. Uh, we just wanted to make it kind of, you know, funkier and more more modern, really. I suppose it's fair to say. Well, you, you you've kind of hinted at it, but it's fair to say that PC Zone was a, a little bit under resourced at this time um but when it came to writers when it came to the team really you were both blessed with a quite a lot of talent um possibly you know it was it was you know a golden age almost in that sense you had paul presley on the team 10 years after i first applied for a job um (laughs) steve hill was still on the books and you had um new boys steve and john who probably would have been at home in 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 any issue of PC Zone and you know throughout its history. Well, on top of that as well, we had um, S- Susie as well, who's like yeah. whose knowledge of racing games and um, was was just astonishing. Like she was like it was, and like um, and later on more under me than Jamie, but we had Ed Zitron as well, who was just like just knew there's nothing he didn't know about MMOs, and so I think that we were quite well treated as well because as well as being very having very funny people. We also had some people that are really very good at, at their individual niches as well. Yeah, the, I mean that's something I'm really proud of. Is that I th- I think that the the team was just incredibly strong. I mean I think other magazines looked upon our writing team with envy. You know, especially when you know we got Log, you know, John Blythe involved. The magazine just lifted in 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 quality and in in how funny it was. Because I I'd, I'd always I wanted you know, my PC zone to be really funny. You know, I, I was a big fan of Viz. And for me, Viz was like, it's up there with like Monty Python and Young Ones and stuff. You know, it's, it's like a, you know, a really influential um, bit of comedy. And, and I just, you know, it's interesting seeing, I saw Charlie Brooker being interviewed once and he said that, um, you know, uh, PC zone was like Viz crossed with what computer game magazine. And it's funny, that's exactly how I thought of it as, you know, that we should be writing funny stuff. And, and well, you know, with all these brilliant writers on the magazine, I, it would just be an absolute pleasure to read, you know, to, to proof the magazine every month. I'd just get stuff in and I'd just be howling with laughter, you know. I mean, I was kind of, you know, slightly taking the mickey when I say it was a golden era because it was a bit like the, the you know, the Viz thing of like, you know, not as good as it used to be exclamation mark on the front cover you know we, we we used to play up to that quite a bit you know i mean we thought for a while of having a tagline of britain's second best selling games pc magazine you know actually on the cover as a kind of you know to <laughs> to sort of yeah. take the mickey out of ourselves but you know we used to do stuff just for shits and giggles 
just for the hell of it and not give a, a, a fuck. And we really didn't. And it was, and you know, we used to, I used to turn down commercial opportunities and things because it would destroy the kind of credibility of the magazine. And, 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 you know, I could, probably could have made a lot more money for, for Future. And we still made a lot of money. I remember one year we made about a million quid for Future, you know, from PC Zone. So we were still p- profitable. But, you know, it, it would only be on our terms, absolutely on our terms, and fuck everyone else. It, You know, it, it really was like, we're just going to make the magazine that we want to make. And certainly from my point of view, the magazine that I want to read. And it was just, I'd make the magazine for me. I would, I really wouldn't. I mean, I obviously had to think about the readers and there were things that, that um, I'm really glad that we did. We had loads of really good free gifts and stuff like that that I really liked, you know, like um, that I wanted to bring in. Like we'd had a, a zombie issue where we had Max Brooks's book as a free book and, you know, we did a um, Half-Life 2 art print and, we, you know, we did a free dice from uh, D&D and things like that that were really, you know, I thought you know, be, being a fan of growing up with Wizard and Chips and all that. And I loved having free gifts. So I just wanted more of that. But well, um, it makes me wonder, can I just buy any? I mean, did, did, yeah, yeah, sure. did you, with those kind of free gifts, was was there a, a, almost a, a freedom from from your predecessors with having to always focus on demos all the time? Well, had that kind of gone a little bit by that point? Yeah, I think, I think, it, I think it had in a lot of ways. Yeah, I mean, um, we were still signing up um, exclusives and things like that. But... You know, about a year and a half, two years into my editorship, you know, we were we were seriously talking about do we get rid of the disc? You know, I remember it being a conversation like, is this worth anything anymore? You know, you can get all the the demos immediately off the internet. Um, you know, how much value? And I think I think we we stuck with it because uh, the perceived value of having a disc on the front means that you can charge five ninety nine rather than it being three ninety nine. So it was it was more that. You know, it would it it was a perceived value of having this disc on the cover, but yeah, it was it there, there was kind of um, I mean some some demos and things were exclusives and and stuff like that, but that's why I think we we did more we started doing more stuff like recording pubcasts and things like that and stuff that we wanted to do ourselves and put them on you know put those on the discs you know and do more of our own kind of created content and stuff like that um, and again you know news started to become you know, more irrelevant because, you know, the there were times when you could have a, you know, the, um, an exclusive and um, and and then, you know, the, the moment it's announced, it's all over the internet and your magazine comes out a week after it's been announced, everyone's like, oh, I've seen this. <laughs> you know, it was, it was it, I remember it was an E3 that we went to in about 2005 and that happened, you know, we had an exclusive and we'd, we'd had the, the stuff two months before E3 announcement. And our magazine came out, I think, five days after the announcement at E3. And everyone was like, well, I've seen all these screenshots and stuff. And it was like, that. that's when I realised it was over, kind of, in a way, of that kind of exclusive stuff. And it was, it was again, the reason why I... Personally, I, I really wanted to go for, and and Dave as well, and you know the, the redesign was about this. Is it's get more personality in it. You know it, that's what we wanted to do. It was like the news is you know whatever you can get that from anywhere, but what you can't get is our take on the news and our kind of personality and our, our sort of taking the piss out of stuff. And and that's what you can't get. That's what people buy a magazine for. You know, to be part of that club. I think it's certainly why people bought. PC Zone in the 90s as well, especially. That's why I used to get it, to be a member of that club, of that gang. 
And so I think that's what we were still trying to do, like, and that's with the, with the staff that we had and the writing style we mm. had. And, and it's, the it was nice held. hearing previous editors as well. I think John Davison said uh, the the identity of pieces on is the writers, and that is you know it's really nice that that through line, you know, the DNA of of pieces on right from the nineties right through to when we were doing it, it was all about that identity as the writers and that and that sort of you know, taking the piss out of ourselves and all that. You know, it was in the DNA of PC Zone. And everybody who wrote for PC Zone knew, knew exactly what kind of magazine they were writing for. You know, we we knew it exactly, almost instinctively, you know, because we'd kind of, you know, we'd grown up with it and we we loved PC Zone before we even joined the magazine. You 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 stuck around, Jamie, till issue 190 or 191, the one with the Left, Left for Dead cover, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah, I think I did 31 issues altogether and probably six as acting editor or something. I mean, you had a pretty good run. Pretty good run. Yeah. Uh, second longest yeah. serving editor, I believe. Oh, really? Wow. Is that uh, right? Yeah. Wow. Number two, yeah. I... Wow, bloody hell. And uh, some good games, uh, some good cover games, Crisis, Team Fortress yeah. 2, Bioshock, Prey, Oblivion. Yeah. Do, you, do you have a favourite? A favourite issue? Um, yeah, there's, there's a few, I suppose. I think the, um, the first sort of proper one, I think the Fear review issue i really loved that one and it came in a special cover and all that it was a nice one um there's a few like the prey exclusive review i think we had like a cutout in the cover and stuff and that was a nice one uh there's a couple where like issue 171 had warren specter's dogs puzzle page which is my <laughs> still remains i mean it's so viz i mean such a rip-off of viz really but um yeah that was my favorite back page of all time i think apart from the christmas cards that we used to do um and yeah, we had quite a few. You know, Call of Duty, I think. Call of Duty Two, Medieval Total War. That was a good one. First look. Um, yeah, some cracking ones, really. Left for Dead. I really like that as a world exclusive. And um, so yeah, there's there's some uh, really really good issues. And yeah, I, I just I loved doing the job. It was um, initially I thought, can I make the the step up? You know, because I loved being Deped. Deped's a great role because you kind of you can swan about and enjoy working on the magazine, but you don't have any of the responsibilities. It's kind of like a, you know, Will, you, you'll, what do you think? Of, grand, of I, 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 I'm, I'm into the grand vizier role, like uh, in, in yeah. being the good cop to the bad cop as well. It's, yeah, it's certainly. <laughs> yeah, it really is. You know, it's like, it's when I was, you know, Deped and, you know, Dave, you know, I'd go to the, um, you know, publisher, oh, you know, Dave's been an idiot. Don't, you know, don't forget about him. We'll sort something out for you. And yeah, it was that good cop bad cop sort of thing but um but yeah step up to editor is is really um you know it's you, you're you're a manager you know you've got to look after your team and make sure they're they're healthy and that they're you know that they're gonna have a you know a, a career and all that kind of stuff and and that they're protected from a lot of as I say a lot of the kind of shenanigans that goes on behind the scenes but um I think for a lot of editors it was like well what do you do after that you know it's like where do you go from being editor for me I I didn't want to go into the publisher route and all that you know I had no interest in doing the corporate kind of world so it was like what am I going to do so I just jumped ship completely and moved into you know game development and events and things like that so um but um yeah I, I absolutely loved it it's it's I think Dave said it was one of the best times of his life and I I agree I think for me it was kind of a magical time really it was just fantastic uh, will how how did it feel then when when you took over from jamie um well not over following jamie of course but following a whole uh, lineage of uh, fine fine editors um 
because I remember your first editorial, you 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 seemed uh, a little daunted. I don't think I was daunted. I think I was very proud, and I, and I think I was I I felt a lot of responsibility to because it is pretty obvious that Zone was in its twilight years, to say the very least. Even though it would go on, you know, for a good year or so after me, as it turned out. But like it, but it did feel like we had a responsibility to not fuck it up. Um, and I don't. And, and, and if you'd have asked me before, like before I'd gone through all the magazines recently, I would have. I was quite embarrassed about a lot of the magazines that I, I did. But having read through it again, I've seen now that it was just because I was remembering the stress and the difficulty, and the the budgets and the all that stuff. But the actual magazines are pretty good. I'm quite proud of them now. But um, but at the same time, I do think that something that we should, something that for, but through definitely through the latter half bit of Jamie's reign and all my stuff was like the games themselves, the, the state of PC gaming at the time wasn't great. It was, it, there was lots of big names. I'm looking at like in my time, it was stuff like Fallout 3 was coming out, Deus Ex Human Revolution, Far Cry 2, Starcraft 2, stuff like that, Assassin's Creed. The thing is, if you look at a lot of them, that we would be sharing um, like our covers with console magazines, Hacksbit, and there, there was a lot. There was far, far, far less confidence in the in PC gaming in general from published and everything. And this was before the big Steam Renaissance. You know, Valve stuff was would, would would come and go. There just wasn't as much at that time for people to look forward to. Um, and then then obviously as soon as as soon as Steam got going and then it dropped its close curation on Steam and all of a sudden it was just ma- it just got massive again. But like, uh, I mean, I think it was towards the end of Jamie's reign where we could, where PC's own, we literally had, we ran a feature called is PC gaming dead? I mean, our answer was obviously, no, it's not, it's fine. It's just having a bit of a sleep, but like, um, <laughs> but you know, but, but like, but we, we, we literally ran, ran features. So that, that was, that, that's what people would say is PC gaming dead. And I think that that was, although we didn't really realise it, looking back on it now, I see that we were kind of weathering that storm a little bit. You did some good stuff, though. I mean, a lot of those retrospectives, I mean, looking at them retrospectively, you know, they, it's, it's, it, they're great reads. And um, yeah, yeah, even though, right. you, even though you, you are only in, only in the hot seat for like 10 issues, there is a, a noticeable Will Porter era. Yeah, the 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 access that we had was 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 very good because I because I mean because I'd been working with I don't know Valve, Bethesda, um, Crytek. You know, I knew them all really well. Crytek used to call me Pukey Porter. Oh, is Pukey Porter coming to that this time? <laughs> but because of uh, I won't tell you why it's called Pukey Porter, but I was Pukey Porter. But anyway, because I I could pull the I could pull the Pukey Porter strings and get like good like good stuff out of this, and you know I'd, I'd also. A little trick of mine was I realised that we had free habit- we had free um, subscriptions. We could just add people to subscriptions, and so relatively early on, I'd made sure that PC's own was turning up on the desks of all of my favourite designers all around the world. And so because of that, they were they always knew who we were, and they were always like laughing at log stuff and Steve stuff and whatever. And I think that opened doors as well. So yeah, so no, I think I think overall, in hindsight, it was. Um, we did it we did all right which um i was going to ask which of those 10 issues are you most proud but i want i imagine i would guess that the 200th issue was maybe the yeah that was great that was yeah, great it was a cracker that one so basically the 200th issue is basically we basically did thinking because at the time i was very doom and gloom about everything 
and like and it felt a lot closer to Peter's own death than it probably was. And so basically the two hundred issue was basically like the last issue done a bit early. Like even though the actual last issue was, was pretty good too. Like and yeah. so basically we, we got all of all people from all of Zone's history from beginning to end writing reviews and we had um Charlie Brooker wrote a review of a like a trucking simulator kind of game. And in my biggest sin ever, I, I, my my many and buried sins on PC Zone, the biggest one was uh, Brooker finished. Um, the last line was, "And there I was trucking like a cunt, like that." And then I just and I chickened out and I and I edited Charlie Brooker. I changed <gasps> cunt, I changed cunt to prick. Um, you left it issue two hundred and one. Um, Zone, of course, carried on for another couple of years before Future closed the magazine after the, what was it, November 2010, wasn't it? Was that the last? Yes, that was the last issue. Um, and the the magazine's ninth editor was Ali Wood, who, who declined our invitation to take part in this celebration. And I would hazard a guess because there wasn't too much to celebrate maybe during those last issues. Yeah, I, I I spoke to her and she's just got a lot of bad memories from it. And I can't you can't you can't really blame her. I mean, she was sold an absolute lemon by by the publisher, and and because of the way I think that I flounced off, I think she walked into a lot of hostility, and it was just a really bad bad time for her. But you know, I've, I've been looking through those magazines, and you know, they're 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 they're, they're good. The the, the 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 quality is there, but I just think that it was a very difficult time. And like I say, it was it was a hostile in, like, environment for her. I mean, out of the three of us sitting here, Richie, I mean, you know what it's like being on a magazine at that stage of its life, and it's not, and it isn't pleasant, mm. like without even without all the other stuff that she had to deal with. Yeah, yeah, it's mm. true. It does sour your kind of experience of um, of working on what is actually a really good magazine. Um, it's that horrible feeling of kind of like, am I going to be the one sort of left here holding the pillars up for the building and? you know, switching the, the light off before you leave, you know. I mean, the thing the thing about when we joined PC Zone, we could see a, a kind of a downward line that you could almost kind of work out when the magazine was going to be cancelled. It was tough, you know, the internet was, you know, was taking a lot of readers away. And um, it's a shame that it, it kind of turned that way. But, you know, even when I, you know, when I, when I was on the mag, the, the budgets were gradually being cut and, the the paper quality. I was always complaining about paper quality all the time. I was like, why? Why? It feels like toilet paper. Why? Why can't we get better? You know, and it was something. It was just out of our hands. You know, we couldn't. You know, it was like the publisher was looking at a spreadsheet and going, "Well, if we use this paper, we can save thirty grand or whatever." And it was like literally looking at a spreadsheet and working it out. Whereas I was saying, "Well, look, you know, I think it's." diminishing returns because people are going to feel this magazine feel well what am i paying my money for it feels feels like crap and but you just you know even you know when i was doing it i wasn't being listened to at that point um because you know they're they're driven by making money and it's fair enough but i wasn't interested in that i wanted to make the best magazine i could and you know if it meant spending thirty thousand pounds on better paper then then I didn't care, you know, it wasn't my money. But um, I think those issues became, you know, more prevalent. And he, like Will, came to the point where he thought, well, I can't make the magazine I want to make anymore. And Yeah, that's and exactly, think, that's exactly my words. Yeah, yeah, I remember you saying that. And I, I thought, well, actually, that's, that's very principled of you because I think I would have probably, you know, if I'd have been in that situation and, you know, having bills to pay and things, I don't think I would have been as principled. I would have probably you know, kept going for as long as I 
could have done and maybe being that person holding the pillars up of the the building you know and it was kind of like death of a thousand cuts kind of thing um just just one final question just your final thoughts then both of you as representatives of pc zones final days it's been more than 11 years now since the last issue was published i'm sure none of us begrudge gamers ongoing success and you know you've got to give credit to future for keeping zone going when dennis wanted to get rid of it um but let's let's indulge the fantasy of uh pc zone having never gone away if, if you choose between you one aspect of pc gaming over the last 11 years that pc zone would have really got behind or enjoyed getting behind what do you think that would be do you want to start will i think i i, I think just having steam to write about all the games on steam mm. just 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 in general because like what, what i was into as a pc zone reader was going through the, the cover discs and this amazing mixture of just not knowing what to expect and it being something of a shit filter as well. But like on Steam, there's just endless, endless different things. And I think that it would have fed us for so much longer if yeah. that's the, if the Steam kind of renaissance had happened just that, that, a year or two earlier than it did. Yeah, I mean, in, indies, you know, we used to have a, a, a section of the magazine called Indie Zone, <laughs> like it was a, a little, you know, couple of pages. It's it's like, the you know, much of the industry now is an Indie Zone, you know. It's like we could have done so much more with all the exciting games and PC stuff that's happening now. I think also I, I, occasionally I'll play a game and I'll go, oh, this is really a PC Zone sort of game. You know, like a player played the doom reboots you know the kind of new dooms and uh that would have definitely been a cover game for pc zone absolutely yeah you know it was just such a you know the kind of ultra violence and the comedy of like ripping heads off you know demons and stuff it was like this is a pc zone game And so we come to the end of the PC Zone story, or rather the end of what is really only a brief overview of 18 years of PC gaming history. Uh, Well, as told through the pages of the UK's first and best PC gaming magazine. In future episodes, I'll be joined by, well, not just editors, but writers, freelancers and others to talk about classic issues of PC Zone and the games and stories that made them memorable. Until then, thank you for listening to this very first episode of PC Zone Lives, and especially to my guests for talking about their time on the magazine. They were editors Paul Lakin and Lawrence Scotford, John Davison and Jeremy Wells, Chris Anderson and Dave Woods, and Jamie Sefton and Will Porter. Legends all. Thank you again, and hopefully you'll be able to join me, Richie Shoemaker, for more PC Zone Lives very, very soon. PC Zone's alive! Oh, well, who wants to live forever? <laughs> you know, it was a good it was a good education. And if, you know, we're the sort of Doctor Who's, aren't we, and we just didn't have the budget to do regeneration scenes, then um, I was very sad to see the... Was it the fifth Doctor go? Yeah, yeah Chris is fifth, yeah. So that, that means I was Colin Baker. That's not great, is it? No. Who was what, who was the fifth doctor? Uh who was the fifth doctor? Peter Davison.
Oh, I like Peter Davidson. When I say yeah, Doctor yeah. Who, I literally mean Doctor Who because I don't know any of them. <laughs> Tom Baker, the one before Chris, was was obviously the cool one, and then um, Sefton was Sylvester McCoy. <laughs> 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 well, maybe I didn't get it so bad. <laughs>